0: It's a tremendous privilege that you and I have today to be a part of the church. And so today, again, this is a a huge subject, uh, but I want to hone in on a few uh, fundamental things about the church. Because understanding what the Bible teaches about the church is not something that only pastors or, or church leaders need to understand. Every single Christian, every single believer in Jesus needs to have a proper understanding of what is the church. If you read through the epistles of the New Testament, the letters that were addressed to the Corinthians, the Galatians, the Ephesians, Colossians, Thessalonians, they were all addressed to the congregations of those churches. Right? God, the Apostle Paul, they were expecting the congregations of the church to have a proper understanding of what it means to be a church. Right? The idea of understanding how a church should function or what a church is is not something just for your pastor to know. This is something for you as a believer in Jesus to know. Every Christian is responsible to have this biblical understanding so that as a member of a church, you can guard your church, right? How can you as a member keep your church healthy if you don't know what a healthy church looks like? How can you as a member of a church make sure that your church is following God's word if you don't know what God's word says about what a church is. And I think the typical American understanding of what the church is is very flawed from what we see in scripture, right? The average typical uh, philosophy that is common now is that it's all about me and my personal relationship with Jesus, right? Which we all believe that you are saved by faith in Christ, that's a choice that you have to make. However, in the New Testament, we see that our walk with Christ is almost inseparable from our relationship to a local body of other believers, right? You are responsible for your daily devotions, right? You are responsible for your prayer life. You are responsible for your relationship with God. That is true, but the Bible also teaches a responsibility that you and I have to other people as well. It's a common thing to hear that, you know, I love Jesus, but I'm not a fan of, of the church, or um, I like Jesus, but I'm not a fan of organized religion, right? Those are, those are common phrases that we hear in our, cult, in our culture today, but as we look at scripture, we see that over and over and over again, God himself emphasizes the church, so there is an aspect of Christianity that is intensely personal, right, between you and God. But there's also this other aspect that you cannot separate, and that's your relationship with the church as well. So we need to have a proper understanding of what the church is that's not just an add-on to your Christian life. It's a fundamental part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so the first point you have there on your sheet is the identity of the church. So before we talk about the church, we have to establish the identity of the church. Of course, we, we understand that the church is not simply a building, right? Christians met for 300 years before they started having church buildings, right? You don't require a, a building to have a church. You require a people, right? And so you have that word, uh, ecclesia, called out ones. Ecclesia is where we get our word for church, And it simply means a called-out group of people that are believers in Jesus Christ, that have come together for a specific purpose, to hear God's Word preached and to uh, partake in baptism and the Lord's Supper together. That's what the definition of a church is. You don't need a building for that. You don't need to be part of a denomination for that. What you do need, though, is a gathering of believers for the specific purpose of hearing God's word taught and preached and partaking in baptism and the Lord's Supper. So, the, first, the uh, second point there is that Jesus loves the church. And so, when we hear people talk about how they love Jesus, but they don't really care about the church, Pastor John has used this illustration many times before. I I can't walk up to him and say, hey, John, I love you, but joy, don't tell her, but I'm not a big fan, right? That's not going to go over well. And I can't really be friends with John if I don't like his wife, right? That's not going to work. And so when we approach Jesus and say, Jesus, I love you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for being concerned all about me. But all the other people you saved, I just can't stand. The people that you call your bride drive me nuts, right? (laughs) Jesus is going to tell you and me that I have a problem, right? We need to learn how to love the bride of Christ. We need to learn how to love the people of Christ, and so Jesus again, he saves us. He saves us not just for a one-on-one relationship; He's, he saves us for a communal relationship. Jesus founds the church in Matthew sixteen eighteen. He says, "I will build the church," and the church begins in the book of Acts in Acts twenty twenty eight. The Bible says that Jesus purchased the church with his blood. In Acts chapter 9, whenever Saul is on his way to persecute the church, uh, Jesus intercepts him, right? And Jesus doesn't ask Paul, Saul at the time, why are you persecuting these churches? He says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Right. Jesus loves the church so much that he identifies himself with it. He could have said, why are you persecuting my followers, these believers, these churches? He says, no, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And the church is identified in the Bible as the body of Christ, as the dwelling place of his spirit, as the chief instrument of glorifying God in the world, bringing the gospel to the nations and bringing people into the family of God. That's all the church. So you and I can't claim to have a close relationship with Jesus and be distant from his bride. You and I can't claim to have a really good relationship with God, to really be in a good place spiritually, while at the same time being totally unplugged from his body, right? That's not something we ever see in the Gospels or in the New Testament. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 through 27, uh, Paul tells us how much Christ is love the church. He said, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So he's using this illustration of, of, of a husband loving his wife as much as Christ loves the church. So again, hopefully this is developing within us, this understanding that if we want to be a true disciple of Jesus, we have to love the church. And sometimes that's hard to do, right? Because churches have hurt many people, right? Churches are full of sinful people like you and me. And we say things that we shouldn't. We offend people when we shouldn't. Uh, We get divided over things that we shouldn't, and that never helps the gospel. But that doesn't take away from the fact that we are still a part of the body of Christ. That doesn't take away from the fact that we are still called to love the fellow believers in our local church. right? Just like in your family, right? someone offends you, someone says something against you, someone hurts your feelings, our immediate response is not to leave the family, I hope, right? Our response is, hey, you were an idiot, or I was an idiot, but I love you anyway. Thank you for loving me anyway, right? Let's, let's make this right. But too often times in churches, we get offended, right? Someone says something that hurts our feelings, or something doesn't go quite our way, and how quick are we to separate, right? We are blessed in America to have, uh, especially here in Texas, to have so many options and choices for churches, Right? Moving here from Chicago was a big culture shock for me, right? We have churches up there, but not like Fort Worth has churches, okay? If, if you don't like this church, there's literally hundreds of others that can hopefully meet your exact preferences, right? But so many times in Scripture, they didn't have that luxury, if you will, right? If you're in a church, that's the church. you got to learn how to get along with each other. You, you can't just start over and find a new place to go. And that's, the, and that's the pattern that God wants for us. Just like your family, you don't leave them when the going gets tough. You don't leave your church when the family hurts your feelings, right? This is a whole new way of viewing the church, not as a, a place for me to go and be served, but this is a family in which I am to belong, right? And this is the image that God gives us in the Bible over and over and over again. And sometimes we have to r- remind ourselves, why is it that churches have so many problems. And it's that Satan loves to attack the church. Because how, if you were Satan, just briefly imagine that for a moment, or if you want to just think about Satan, if if he wants to hurt God, if if he wants to really aggravate God, so to speak, what's he going to do? He he can't touch God, right? He's untouchable. But he can harm his bride, right? He, He can tempt his bride. He can cause division in the body of Christ. That's why churches have to be so on guard. Because we are the number one target for the enemy. Because we are the ones whom Christ is coming back for. And Satan wants to make sure that we go to heaven as scarred and messed up as possible. And so the reason why Satan attacks the church so much is because we are the ones whom Christ loves. We are the ones whom Christ died for and is coming back for. That's why Satan wants to convince you that you don't need the church. That's why Satan wants to convince you that you can make it on your own as a Christian. You can listen to a podcast of a sermon, you can watch some worship videos on YouTube, and you can make it just fine. You don't need all these people who are going to just slow you down, offend you, not do what you want to do, Right? That's the temptation that we have now in our culture, maybe more than ever before, because I can sit at home, listen to preachers much better than myself, listen to the best worship music we've ever produced, all on my own. So why don't we do that? Why has God still called us to assemble together as a body of believers? It's because we need each other. Christ of the church and he's called us not to live our life as believers in isolation but in community God's plan for a Christian will always be fulfilled best when connected with the local church right God's plan for your life for using you for his kingdom using you for his service doing something with you that will last for all of eternity will always be connected with the church because the church is the means by which God has said, this is how I am going to reach the world with the gospel. This is how I'm going to do missions. This is how I'm going to make disciples is through the church. So when you and I are, are tempted or frustrated to, to move away to doing our own thing, remember how much God values the church. He identifies himself with it. He's coming back for it. It, We are called his bride. The church matters, right? God has not diminished his love for the church over the years because of the many faults and failings that churches have had, right? That's simply because of us, right? All the faults and failings that I have will affect the church, right? The church is full of sinful, broken People, But that's the point. That's why God calls us into this community. Is because if I'm sinful and broken on my own, I'm probably not going to get much better. But if I'm sinful and broken in the midst of a loving group of other sinful and broken believers, then we can call each other to restoration, to forgiveness, to repentance. And that's what being a church family is about. Amen. So now we've kind of established the identity of the church uh, I want to look quickly at some of the basic traditions of a local church. So Jesus Christ has given the church these visible signs to us as His people, and these signs are fundamental to understanding and reflecting on the gospel. And so the first one there is is baptism. Uh, baptism is, of course the first step of obedience for a believer. Um, there are people who go to churches or uh, call themselves Christians who say, "Hey, I'm willing to believe in Jesus, um, but I don't think that baptism is a necessity." Uh, so let's look at that real quickly. Jesus Himself, He ordained baptism, both by His example and by His command. Amen. Whenever Jesus started His earthly ministry, He started by being baptized. Right? Did Did Jesus really need to be baptized? No. no he was. He was just fine, <laughs> right? He, he started off as giving us an example and a foreshadowing, right, of his death, burial, and resurrection. And when you and I also partake in baptism, we are imitating the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and looking forward to our future resurrection as well. But he also commands it in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, Verse 19, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Over and over and over again, as you read the New Testament, it assumes that all believers have been baptized. No example in Scripture, outside of perhaps the thief on the cross who died, do you see an example of a believer who is not baptized or does not get baptized quickly. There is no such thing as an unbaptized believer in the New Testament. In Romans chapter 6, verse 3 through 4, Paul writes, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Right? Paul here is writing, look, we are identifying with Christ when we get baptized. And the church is commanded to practice baptism by immersion. Uh, We see that Jesus was immersed in the book of Mark. It says that he came up out of the water. And immersion is the best image and picture of, of death, right? Whenever you die, you get buried, right? And that's why we immerse people in water as a picture, as an image of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And then the uh, second tradition, the the, uh, second ordinance that God has given to the church is the Lord's Supper or communion. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 through 26, uh, the Bible says, "For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we see this here in verse 24. He says, Do this in remembrance of me. It's a command, right? Participating in the Lord's Supper is a command given by Jesus to the church. And so, again, what is, what is the purpose of the Lord's Supper, of communion? It's to, A, remember his sacrifice, like this is my body, this is my blood, this is what Jesus did for us. This is the gospel, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture. But it's also a rehearsal, right? The Bible says that we will be having the final marriage supper with the Lamb whenever God takes us to heaven. At the end of time, and we will be taking the Lord's Supper there together as a family. So, not only is it looking back to the sacrifice of Christ, we're looking forward in anticipation to when Christ comes back. And so, that's what the Lord's Supper is for it's to witness this thing, It's, it's it's a witness to what Christ has done and what Christ will do. Baptism is done once in the life of a believer. And the Lord's Supper, the Bible just says, as often as you do it, you are to do it repeatedly as a continual reminder to us. The other thing about these two ordinances is that they are given to your local church, not to individual believers. The commands to baptize and observe the Lord's Supper were not given for Christians to uh, do on their own, but to be done in the context of a local church family. Because baptism, whenever you are baptized, that's how you identify with a church and enter into membership of that local church. We are not called to be freelance baptizers going around saying, hey, I will baptize you wherever you are, whatever you are, no matter if you're connect- connected to a church or not, right? That responsibility is given to a local church. Because when I'm getting baptized, what am I being baptized into? Not only am I representing the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, I'm also entering into a relationship with a local church body, Amen. and so it has to be done in the in the context of a local church. And the Lord's Supper, over and over again in Scripture, the the pattern is is that it's something believers do together when they gather as a church, not something they do as individuals or in their families. Right? We as a church collectively are remembering the sacrifice. That Christ did for us. We are collectively looking forward to when we will, as a church, as the bride of Christ, experience the marriage supper of the Lamb at the end of time. And so these two commands are are very clear in Scripture, right? So uh, those who have refused to be baptized for whatever reason, I've met many people like that, or those who simply don't want to take the Lord's Supper, there are being disobedient to scripture, right? And sometimes it comes from just a poor reading of what the Bible teaches, but understand that the the call to baptism is, is not optional, right? We as Baptists understand that baptism does not save anyone, right? Baptism doesn't make me right with God. It's only repentance and faith in Christ that does that. However, Christ has commanded me, though, to be baptized, And so I should be baptized. And so I would encourage you, maybe you've never thought of that before. Maybe no one's asked you if you've wanted to before. I know this is the Wednesday night crowd, so I'm sure you're all good. But if you haven't been baptized yet, and you're a professing believer, I would encourage you to be baptized because it is a command given in Scripture. So to reject baptism or the Lord's Supper or any other clear command in the Bible is to reject membership among the disciples of Christ. Right? You can't say, hey, I'm a disciple of Christ, but I'm not going to do what Christ said. Right? Christ has called us into baptism and the Lord's Supper. Thirdly there, we have membership in a local church. You know, It's one thing to, to talk about church as a whole, right? This, the whole concept of church and what is it and what has God called the church as a whole to do somewhere. But God has also called us to a local body of of believers. Membership in a local church is a crucial point for understanding what Christ is calling us to as his disciples. The the whole idea of scripture is that once I am a believer, what community am I supposed to be a part of? Not just this universal church, but into a local church with real people in it, right? The vast majority of the time in the New Testament whenever the Bible talks about the church, it's not talking about the universal church. We're talking about local bodies of believers. The Bible does refer to the universal church at some points, but the overarching theme of Scripture, the overarching context of the New Testament, is a local assembly of people who can see each other, right? These are people who are called out together in a specific area, who are coming together to worship the Lord. And so the most fundamental duty of membership is regular fellowship with a local congregation. Romans chapter 12 and verse 4 and 5 says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Again, this is why uh, coming together, as opposed to doing your own thing in private, is so important, right? Paul here talks about the church as being A body right the body has to come together in order to function right you are not called to be a body in and of yourself you and I are called to be members of a body members of a yes the universal church we are a part of but what body am I going to serve in what body is going to minister to me that's a local called out assembly of Christians so this understanding should hopefully help us understand that the Christian life is not something that you and I do alone. We have been, as, as Christians, we understand, okay, I've, I've been saved. That means I've been reconciled to God, right? I was God's enemy. I was on my way to hell. I was about to receive the just punishment for my sin, but then I was saved, and I have been made right with God. We all hopefully understand that. But the other part of salvation is that now, I am called to be to be reconciled to other believers as well, right? Our earthly relationships now need to reflect the heavenly relationship that we now possess. You and I are called to, as Christians, have relationships with other people. And Again, this uh, hopefully will stir your mind a little bit from what we talked about a few sessions ago with the Trinity, right? Why does God care about community so much? Why does that concept keep coming up in different ways in Scripture? Because God himself is community, right? The Trinity loves community, right? And so now we, as his image bearers, are called into a earthly community with other image bearers in the church. If you think about uh, Scripture, um, think about all the one another passages that are in the New Testament, There's about 59 passages, verses in the New Testament, that talk about something one another. Like, love one another, bear with one another, forgive one another, confess your sin to one another, serve one another. Right? Think of all the one another passages that are in Scripture. Who are those other people? Who are you going to be loving? Who who are you going to be serving? Who will be serving you? Who will be holding you accountable Who are these others? They're not just mystical people in the church out there somewhere. They are members of your local body of believers. So whenever you and I come to Christ, we are made part of a family, right? The whole concept of salvation is often used in Scripture in the terms of adoption, right? Like we are orphans, and God adopts us into his family. Well, if you are adopted into a family, not only are you given a father— but you're also oftentimes given siblings, right? And so we love the Father because He's perfect, but our our siblings tend to get under our skin sometimes. (laughs) Our uh, siblings tend to uh, make life a little bit more difficult for us, and that's when we start to say, hey, I would rather just have the Father, but not my brothers and sisters, right? But God has called us into relationships with other people that He has saved as well. So when I view the Christian life as just being about me, I'm having a selfish view. I'm having an unbiblical view of what it means to be a Christian, of what it means to be a disciple, of what it means to be a church member, right? If I am only concerned with me, myself, and I, and not the other people God has placed in my life, then I'm missing the calling that God has given to me simply as a Christian, right? You and I are called not only to walk with God ourselves, but to walk with other believers as we together walk with God. So who is going to pray for you? Who is going to counsel you? Who is going to disciple you? Who are you going to disciple? Those people are found in your local church of which you are a member. If you've seen uh, the TV show Lost, uh, whenever the people first land on the island, it becomes quickly apparent uh, that there are other people there, and they are kind of labeled the others, right? And the others are terrifying, right? The the others uh, make life super difficult uh, for these people who have crash-landed on this island. And oftentimes, I feel like that's how we feel about people in church, right? Me and God are good, but then the others show up, and life gets hard, right? Life gets a little bit more scary, right? How am I supposed to deal with these people? I don't know. But that's what God has called us into is a, is a family. And we're not called to simply come to church and say, okay, here I am, Lord, bless me. We're, we're called to show up and serve. Here are these other people who also have sinful issues, who also are broken, and who can also need encouragement, who also need to be served, who also need to be discipled. And that's how the community of believers is supposed to work. Not that I come here simply to receive, but I come here as a willing participant in a loving family who is sometimes maybe difficult to love, because I'm difficult to love, I know that, but we do so because we have a Father who loves us unconditionally. So Jesus always calls his disciples to himself and into a community with one another. Right? Think about whenever Christ called his disciples. He didn't have a one-on-one relationship necessarily to say, hey, I'm gonna have one relationship with Peter over here, one relationship with John over here, and a separate one with Andrew over here. He called them together as that initial community, right? And then as the church started, we created communities of believers that followed Christ. And so one of the things that comes with comes with this is like this is a, a fundamental gauge, a, a test a validation of whether or not someone is truly a believer. Right? Someone who says I love Christ but has never has anything to do with the church should raise some red flags in your mind. Maybe they are a, a true believer but they misunderstand what the gospels have said, they misunderstand what the church is. Doesn't mean they're for sure not saved, but they are misunderstanding scripture. Because I can deceive myself into thinking many things. I can think that I'm a wonderful person on my way to heaven with no sin issues when I'm by myself. But when I show up and have other people speak truth into my life, I suddenly realize maybe I do have some issues, right? Maybe I do need help. But if we isolate ourselves from the body of Christ, we will never know that, right? One of the ways that you and I know that we are saved is, yes, we trust scripture, we trust the, the testimony of the Holy Spirit within us, but if you have other children of God coming up to you and saying, hey, we don't know if you're saved or not, that should cause you to pause, right? That's what the part of the family of Christ is, is you, you have this family of brothers and sisters, and someone with the wrong t shirt is walking around, like, they keep saying they're part of our family, but they're not doing anything that we do. I never see them at the dinner table, I never see them with that. So part of the fundamental responsibility of believers it, as gathering as a church is not just to come be blessed and bless others, but it's a verification. It's another checkpoint along the way of our assurance of salvation. Right? So if someone comes up to me and tells me, Hey, Nathan, you know, we don't think you're saved. I mean, that would be offensive, right? But hey, that's what the church is there for. Right? If I have other Christians coming up to me and telling me that they have doubts about my relationship with God, that should cause pause, right? But the question is, do we do that, right? That's, that's a hard conversation to have. That's part of what the function of the church is. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5, whenever Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, again, he's writing to the members of the church at Corinth, and there was a man that was... Uh, sinning grossly, right? He was in the midst of sexual sin, and no one was calling him out, right? No one was walking up to this guy and saying, hey, man, you know what, what Paul taught us. You know what Jesus taught. Why aren't you doing this? And so Paul has to write this letter to call this church out to say, hey, you guys are allowing sin to go unchecked in the family of God. Part of the function of the family of God is to not let sin go unchecked in my life. Part of my function as a church member is to not let sin go unchecked in your life. And that's something that we have to have as a group of believers, because if all we do is shake hands and smile and say, hey, that's their life, that's their problem, not my problem, we're misunderstanding what it means to be a family. Sometimes families have to have hard conversations, right? Sometimes families have to have interventions, Because we see that someone is doing something that they ought not to be doing, someone who names the name of Christ is not living according to Christ, and we just can't let that keep happening. Why? Because we love them. We care for that person's soul. We care for that person's walk with God. And so part of our calling as members is to be able to be examined by other members. So if if you see me in sin, you have the right and the authority from God to come up to me with love and say, hey... We, we think you're doing wrong here. And it's the same goes for you. If I see you in sin, doing something I know you ought not to be doing, doing something that I see is contrary to God's word, we need to have the openness and humility that says, hey, I'm allowing other people to speak God's truth into my life. That's something that is so foreign, I think, to uh, American culture, right? Our culture says, you know, you don't judge me, you judge yourself. You don't judge me in my walk with God. You don't know me, right? You don't know my heart. And Bible's like, it's true. I I don't know your heart, but the Bible teaches that we are to judge each other by our works. That's how I know what's in your heart is by your works. So if you're naming Christ and yet doing nothing that represents Christ, that should give us reason to say, hey, what are you doing, right? Do you know that what you're doing is sin? And if they're a believer. Most likely, they will repent and make it right at some point. If they're not, then Paul says they will, or John says they'll go out from us because they were never one of us. But again, that is all done with love. It's not with it's not this idea of hey, I'm going to now go hunt down every sin I can find within the church and make sure I'm going to call everyone out for everything I see them doing wrong. Right? Please don't do that. Yeah, (laughs) but our calling as a family, again, is with the context of love. To say, hey, I've noticed that this is a pattern in your life. I've noticed that you're, you're doing X, Y, Z. And let me show you where, where the Bible says that, that that's not right. Or I've noticed that you've only come to church once a year. Why is that? Why, why are you neglecting the family of God? Why are you neglecting the calling that he's given to us as Christians? So with that community... Right comes that accountability, um, you know. So why is it that Christians are called into this community? It's so that we can hold each other accountable, right? Not only for us to love one another, to serve one another, but also to love each other enough to say, "Hey, what you are doing is sin. What I am doing is sin, and we need to be called out." And so, part of that um, accountability that we have is with our attendance. Hebrews chapter ten, verse twenty-five, Bible says, "Not neglecting to meet together." as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all, all the more as you see the day draw near. The uh, typical Southern Baptist Church, the stat is a few years old, but I think it's still relevant. The typical Southern Baptist Church has 176 members, only 69 of whom are present on a typical Sunday morning worship service, right? You can have a lot of members on your roll books, but the people who actually show up are oftentimes different, aren't they? And uh, I think Dave told me this stat a few times was, you know, it used to be that if if you were going to be considered an active member of a church, it was two or three times a week. Now it's two or three times a month, right? And you're considered to be an active church member, right? But we're missing the point of what it means to be called into this church family. God is not concerned with you uh, checking a box that, hey, I was there four Sundays this month. Congratulations, It's about us entering into community and relationship with each other to worship God together, to disciple one another, and to hold each other accountable. So joining a church is an active way of saying, I am now your responsibility, and you are my responsibility, right? Joining a church doesn't necessarily have uh, a lot of uh, perks, if you will, (laughs) What you're doing, really, by entering into membership is that you are making a covenant with a group of other believers that says, hey, I'm going to be here, and I'm willing to serve you, I'm willing to help you, I'm willing to hold you accountable, and please do the same for me. I want you to call me out when I am in sin. I I want you to disciple me. I want you to speak God's truth into my life. I want to have Christian fellowship, right? That's what the idea of membership brings. That's what the, the practice of membership brings to believers. So by identifying ourselves with our particular local church, we are telling the other members not just that we commit to them, but that we commit to gathering, giving, prayer, and service. And then finally there, our uh, accountability helps us with our assurance of salvation, which I've already kind of briefly uh, briefly mentioned. And the way we, we know that, that is related to membership of a local church is that whenever Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 5 about this man who is uh, in sin, he is he is asking them to remove him uh, from their number, right? You uh, can't exclude someone who hasn't already been included, right? So this man had at some point joined this church, and now Paul is writing to this church saying, hey, this man now needs to be excluded because he's refusing to repent of his sin. And so as we go through this uh, scripture here and then also other passages in the New Testament that talk about membership, that talk about churches, we see that a lot of this responsibility lays not just on the pastors and church leaders. This responsibility lays on all of us as Christians, Amen. on all of us as church members, right? If you see the church doing something unbiblical... It's your right and role as a member of a church to point that out. If, if you see something that is uh, sinful being done in the life of a believer, it's not John, Pastor John's job to go and confront that person. It's your job, right? God has allowed you to see that sinfulness, and he has allowed you to speak truth into their life with love, right? And so we as members have been given that responsibility and privilege of loving one another well. So local church membership is a, is a question of obedience, not preference. right? God has called every single Christian to be a part of a local church. right? When you are saved, you are a part of that global universal church, which is true. But also how are you going to obey Christ as far as all the one another passages, right? Who will be on the receiving end? Of your service, of your discipleship, of your love, needs to be another gathered group of believers. So even though the church makes mistakes, even though the church is full of sinful people who oftentimes do the right things the wrong way or the wrong things the wrong way, don't diss the church, right? Christ loved the church and he gave himself for it. There will never be a a church that you are a part of here on earth that, that is perfect that handles everything the exact right way. But Christ has called us to treat that church, whatever church we are a part of, as the body of Christ. Right? We can be so flippant, uh, flippant sometimes in our culture and say, hey, if someone doesn't do the right thing the right way or if I get offended, if someone um, offends me in, in any way, then I'm out. Right? Then I'm finding a new body of believers to be a part of. And that's not really a pattern that we see ever in Scripture. And the only time that I see that happening is if there's something unbiblical that takes place, right? We should be very slow before we break membership with a local body of believers, right? That's not the pattern that God has set for us in the New Testament. So joining a local church is an outward reflection of an inward love that we are to have for Christ. Again, don't claim to love Jesus If you don't love his church don't claim to follow jesus if you're not serving in his church never does the new testament have an example of a christian existing on a prolonged basis outside of the fellowship of the church that's not something we ever see in the bible so we are to demonstrate in real life the fact that god has saved us not because we've memorized bible verses not just because of that not just because we read our bible daily Uh, not just because we pray before we eat, not just because we tithe. The way that you and I demonstrate that we are part of the body of Christ, that we are saved to the watching world, is that we increasingly show love for these sinful people that are part of our local church. Jesus said the way that the world will know that we are believers, the way the world will know that we are disciples of Christ, is by how you and I love each other. That was the number one gauge that Christ gave his disciples as far as their witness and testimony to a watching world. It was not, hey, if if you preach a lot, or if you read the Bible a lot, if you memorize uh, these verses, those are all good things. Those are all healthy things that every believer should do. But the number one measure by which Christ measured our love for him was how well do you and I love each other. And that's what God will hold us accountable for. It's, yes, your walk with God, your personal, individual, intimate walk with God is extremely, extremely important. But that's not the end of the story. Christ has also shown us that our relationship with other people in the church needs to be a priority. We need to show up. We need to love people. We need to serve them. Church church is a great place to come and be ministered to, right? Church is a great place to come and have our spirits lifted. But church is also a place where we are called to pour ourselves out for the sake of other people's well-being. We are called to come to church not only to receive, but to give. Right? This is a family that God has given to us. Right? This is a body of Christ that God has given to us in order to serve Him. If we want to truly accomplish the Great Commission then we need to do so in the context of our church. We need to do so in the context of a local body of believers. So we will be held accountable one day for how well we have loved Christ and how well we have loved Christ's bride. And so that's what you and I have the privilege of being a part of as members of a local church, as members of the universal church, right? Christ loved us. He died for us, and he's coming back for us. And so you need to have an awesome walk with God on your own. But don't forget that that walk on your own is supposed to lead into a relationship with other people as well. Let's pray.